Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Made by Podster. This case deals with the death of a child, and the subject of suicide is raised. If you have thoughts about suicide, tell someone about it. Even if it is difficult, there is help out there, including for you. The Anthony family went to great lengths to keep up appearances, and perhaps too far. This is Lainey Hobbs, and in this odd episode of Tracing Darkness, I'll tell you about the Kaylee Anthony case, a mysterious case of a missing two-year-old child that leads to her mother being proclaimed America's most hated mother. The case contains many details, which is why I've split this case into two parts. This is part one. Casey Marie Anthony was born on March 19, 1986. The Anthony family, which included Casey's parents, Cindy and George, as well as Casey's older brother, Lee, was living in Ohio when Casey was born. Cindy worked as a nurse and George was a police officer. He had worked for 10 years in the unit specializing in investigating car thefts. About a year before Casey was born, George quit his job as a police officer and started working for his father's company, which was involved in importing and selling cars. George didn't quit being a cop and go into the car business because he wanted to, but because he felt he had to. Cindy, the family's mother, wanted to stay home with the children, but she knew that a cop's salary wasn't enough to pay the bills and feed the kids. So she encouraged George to change careers and join his father's company, where the pay and working conditions were better. As is clear from this case, it was very important to the Anthony family, and especially to Cindy, that everything looked good on the surface, 
and that any difficulties or problems were kept secret. It was important to Cindy that their family was seen as wealthy, or at least reasonably wealthy. Cindy had a dream that George would one day take over his father's car business and make a lot of money. In 1989, when Casey was three years old, the entire family moved from Ohio to Orlando, Florida. At the time, Orlando was the sixth largest city in the state of Florida, with almost 300,000 inhabitants and is, according to surveys, the most popular tourist destination in the United States, especially among Americans. This is no doubt due to the city being home to the Walt Disney World Resort. The Anthony family bought a house in a popular area for families with children, and both Lee and Casey started school there. George held a variety of jobs, including pest control, security guard, and supervisor of mail carriers. Cindy continued working as a nurse. From a very young age, Casey was an energetic, cheerful child with many interests. She was good at a number of sports and was a much-loved classmate. Casey had a large circle of friends, saw many different people, and when she became a teenager, she attracted the attention of boys too. As well as being popular, Casey did well at school and got on well with her parents. She and Cindy, in particular, seemed to have a good relationship. Cindy apparently liked to spoil Casey in different ways. When Casey was born, Cindy was overjoyed to have a girl, and Cindy loved to do girl things with Casey. When Casey was a teenager, however, the family's happiness was overshadowed by some problems that George got into. At work, he badly injured both knees, leaving him with only part-time work. To make up for the lost earnings and fill his days, George began gambling online and it quickly developed into a form of addiction. He gambled away the family's savings and took on debt to do so. Cindy knew about it, but did her best to keep it hidden from the outside world. When Casey entered high school, according to friends and schoolmates, her behavior began to change. Casey started partying, drinking alcohol, and experimenting with some mild drugs. She skipped school and no longer participated in the sports activities she had previously enjoyed. When Cindy and George were later asked about this, they said that they had no knowledge of Casey's problems at school, Instead, they said that she was a perfect daughter and that everything was going well at school, right up until her exams. While I understand that graduating from high school is not as important or prestigious as, say, graduating from college, Cindy wanted to throw her daughter a big party when she graduated. However, she wondered why Casey wasn't particularly interested in throwing the party and why she didn't attend the rehearsal for the graduation ceremony at the school. The day before the graduation ceremony was to take place, Casey's parents received a call from the high school telling them that Casey would not be graduating because she had so many absences. The angry parents demanded an explanation from Casey, who tried to fix the blame on the school. She said she had been advised to take the wrong subjects and that the tutor had confused her performance with someone else's. The parents, or at least Cindy, bought Casey's explanation, and Casey eventually got a party, even though she didn't graduate. Cindy probably would have been too embarrassed to tell her family members that Casey hadn't graduated and that the party had to be canceled. 
Casey never returned to school or finished her studies, however, and instead got a job working in a Kodak photo booth at the Universal Studios theme park. Casey's job was to sell photographs of park visitors. Her parents were happy Casey had got the job, especially since Casey still lived at home. The parents were still struggling financially, so it made a big difference to them that Casey was earning her own money. The way Casey and Cindy behaved when Casey didn't graduate was typical of both of them, and they behaved the same way in the wake of Casey's next surprising piece of news. In June 2005, 19-year-old Casey suddenly showed up to her mother's workplace and told her she was pregnant and that the baby would be born in August. Cindy described the news as a complete surprise to her and George, although almost everyone who knew the family had said that Cindy and George must have known earlier, but refused to believe it. When the entire Anthony family attended a wedding at a relative's house in the spring of 2005, several people came to ask Cindy why they had not told them that Casey was pregnant. Cindy had denied it, saying that Casey was not pregnant, but that she had gained some weight and was bloated. The family members raised their eyebrows in disbelief at the answer, because they thought it was obvious that Casey was pregnant. Some colleagues also asked Casey about it, but Casey plainly denied being pregnant. Casey's brother Lee had at one point seen his sister in a swimsuit and noticed a growing belly, but both Casey and Cindy had denied everything. It wasn't until June 2005, when Casey was seven months pregnant, that she told her parents. Cindy said that she and George were both immediately overjoyed and thrilled by the news of the future grandchild, which of course may be true, but given the importance Cindy placed on family reputation, she was hardly just thrilled that her 19-year-old daughter, who had not finished high school, was pregnant without anyone knowing who the father was. The family had a strange dynamic. Casey's brother Lee didn't learn of his sister's pregnancy until two days before Casey's daughter was born. Lee was so hurt by being left out that he refused to go to the hospital to see Casey and the baby while they were there. Casey's daughter, Kaylee Marie Anthony, was born on August 9th, 2005. As I said, there was a lot of confusion about who was Kaylee's father, and to this day, it is still not known who her biological father was. Casey told various stories about who the father was, but all turned out to be lies. At the time of Kaylee's birth, Casey had a boyfriend named Jesse, and for a while, everyone thought Jesse was the baby's father. Even Jesse did at first, but eventually he had to realize that wasn't possible. Jesse, however, took on the role of father in Kaylee's life, attending Kaylee's birth with Casey's parents, for example. Jesse later said that although he knew Kaylee was not biologically his child, he felt like a father to her and was prepared to adopt her. For some reason, this annoyed Casey's parents, especially Cindy, and they always openly wanted Jesse and Casey to split up. It's unclear why Casey's parents objected to Jesse, because he honestly seemed like the most balanced and reasonable person in Casey's life, who even after a DNA test confirmed that he wasn't Kaylee's father, wanted to adopt her. It's a little unclear where Casey and Jesse's relationship ended up, but it apparently annoyed Casey how much more Jesse seemed to care about the daughter than she did. Even after their breakup, however, Jesse remained involved in Kaylee's life and, in his own words, fathered Kaylee until she was two years old. 
Casey never lived with Jesse. Instead, she and Kaylee lived in her parents' home. George and Cindy helped care for Kaylee, and they also contributed very generously to Casey's expenses. According to some sources, Cindy and George spoiled Kaylee as soon as she was discharged from the hospital. Although the Anthony family dynamic may be considered rather odd, it seems that Kaylee was well cared for and was a much-loved child. Cindy also said that Casey was an excellent mother who put her children's needs before her own and really enjoyed spending time with Kaylee. However, the Anthony family's neighbors, Cindy's colleagues, and Casey's friends told a different story. According to the neighbors, the family was often heard arguing loudly about Casey's abilities as a mother and that she took it for granted that Cindy and George could take care of Kaylee whenever it suited Casey. According to colleagues, Cindy had talked to them about considering seeking custody of Kaylee if Casey didn't get her act together, kept on partying all the time, and didn't focus more on her daughter. Given that Cindy was very concerned about the family's reputation, it's not really surprising that Cindy talked widely about Casey being the perfect mother, even though the truth may have been different. In fact, according to Casey's friends, Casey and Cindy had a rather complicated relationship and the care of Kaylee was the source of many arguments. Casey loved social media and used MySpace a lot. She could send hundreds of messages a day and also connected with new people online. The messages sent online were later investigated, and in many messages to friends or changing boyfriends, Casey complained that she and her mother had argued again about something to do with Kaylee. After Kaylee's birth, Casey had been on maternity leave, but it was agreed that she would return to her job in the photo booth at the theme park. However, Casey neither contacted her employer, nor did she respond to her employer's inquiries as her maternity leave was coming to an end. When it became clear to Kodak that she would not return to work within the agreed time frame, they dismissed her. However, Casey didn't tell anyone she had lost her job. She told her parents she was going back to work in the morning and left. But in reality, Casey spent her time hanging out with friends, driving around town, and hanging out with her on and off boyfriends. Casey even went so far as to tell a lie about having been promoted and was now working as an event coordinator at Universal Studios. And it should be noted that Casey at no point worked for Universal Studios, even though Kodak's photo booth was located there. Casey's employer had always been Kodak. Cindy and George were obviously very happy for Casey. And since Casey had such a wonderful and important job, they offered to help even more with childcare, especially George, who only worked part-time. Sometimes, Casey would take Kaylee to her friend's house, or rather, she would walk around town with Kaylee all day and then tell her parents that she had taken Kaylee to her friend's house. Sometimes Casey would leave the house and wait for her parents to leave for work or to run errands and then come back home. Thanks to her new job, Casey also spent nights away from home, leaving it to Cindy and George to care for Kaylee. In reality, Casey was never away on business or whatever excuse she used. In actuality, she partied with her friends and enjoyed Kaylee being left in the care of others. Casey was occasionally caught lying about her job, 
but she always managed to weasel out of the situation. Although I don't know if anyone other than her mother, Cindy, believed those lies. Once, Casey claimed that she had arranged a meeting between her mother and a charity worker at Universal. This employee didn't really exist. And after Cindy waited over an hour for the person, Casey suddenly called her mother and told her that the employee had just moved to New York and that the meeting had to be canceled. Once, Cindy saw a picture of Casey on a local nightclub's Facebook page, and according to the information in the picture, it was taken on a night when Casey had said she was going to work. When Cindy confronted Casey about this, Casey lied and said she had been out partying for work. Many of you may question where Casey got the money if she pretended to her parents that she was working. Casey, who probably already paid for very few things herself, simply got the money by stealing from others. She was caught stealing a few times. For example, Casey's grandmother, Cindy's mother, turned her away completely when Casey was caught stealing from her. Casey had stolen pages from her grandmother's checkbook and had written checks to herself, which she then cashed at the bank. I couldn't find out for sure if the grandmother had ever filed criminal charges against Casey, but she certainly cut contact with her and encouraged Cindy to do the same as well. Cindy had also noticed that there was some money that was missing and she couldn't figure out where it had gone and suspected that someone might be using her credit card from time to time. Cindy didn't know who to blame, her husband who had a gambling problem or Casey who had even stolen from her grandmother. George denied stealing from his wife, so suspicion turned to Casey. Cindy and George also discovered that Casey had spent money they had set aside for Kaylee. Casey's pretense of having a job at Universal Studios lasted for over two years, and it is estimated that over the years, Casey stole more than $40,000 from her parents and grandmother. One of Casey's friends, a woman named Amy, also said that Casey had stolen money from her and later filed a complaint, of which Casey was found guilty. In late spring 2008, Casey and Amy planned to move in together. Casey also had a new boyfriend, Tony, who she spent a lot of time with and who also got to know Kaylee. Apparently, Casey had lied to Amy, claiming that her parents were getting a divorce and moving apart, and that Amy could therefore move into their house with Casey. This was a lie that Casey eventually had to retract, and instead she and Kaylee ended up moving into a rented apartment with Amy. Even though she had now moved out, I got the impression that Casey was still very dependent on help from her parents, and that she often spent the night at her parents' house with Kaylee. Cindy and George didn't like that Kaylee wasn't with them as much as before, and sometimes they felt that Casey was deliberately staying away from them, at the same time, they were happy that Casey seemed to be a little more independent. She told her parents and friends that she had hired a nanny for Kaylee, whom she called Zanny. Now, I will tell you about June 15th and 16th, 2008 in detail to try and draw a timeline of what probably happened in those days, because they are crucial to the crime I describe in this episode. On Sunday, June 15th, Cindy visited her father at the nursing home. It was Father's Day, so Cindy had brought Kaylee to meet her great-grandfather. They were photographed together, and a video was also taken of them reading a children's book. These photos are the last ever taken 
of Kaylee. After the visit, Cindy went with Kaylee to her mother's house, lamenting that she saw little of Kaylee these days and that it was hard to work things out with Casey without arguing. When it was past four in the afternoon, Cindy and Kaylee returned to the family house and went for a swim in the pool in the backyard. The pool was big enough for an adult to swim in. While they were swimming, Casey came home and Cindy and Kaylee got out of the water. Cindy said that after the swim, she took out the pool ladder and closed off access to the pool. Later that evening, Cindy got an unexpected call from her mother, who told her that Casey had again stolen money from her, again by stealing checks for herself and using them to cover her own expenses, and the grandmother needed the money to pay for her husband's nursing home expenses. According to the neighbors, Cindy and Casey were yelling and screaming so loudly at each other that they could hear the screams from inside the house. After Cindy, Kaylee and George, who had come home in the middle of the argument, went to bed. Casey texted and called her boyfriend Tony until 4 a.m. The next day, Monday, June 16th, Cindy was the first to wake up in the Anthony home, and she went to work before 7 a.m. She didn't speak to any of her family members. They were all asleep. According to data from the family's PC, Casey logged into the computer shortly before 8 a.m. and, among other things, chatted to a few friends and Googled outfit options for a party her boyfriend was organizing in the coming week. According to George, he spent the morning with Casey and Kaylee at his house and saw them leave shortly before 1 p.m. Casey said she had to go to work and would take Kaylee to drop her off with her babysitter, Zanny. Although Casey got in her car and drove away from the family home, she didn't drive far. I'll return to possible alternate timelines we can draw for Casey's actions, but for now, I'll go with the version that is probably the most plausible with the knowledge we have right now. Namely, that Casey was waiting in the car with Kaylee somewhere near her family's home. In fact, the location data from the phone shows that it never left the area at all. At 2.30 in the afternoon, George left for the evening shift, and by then, the family computer was active again. It's likely Casey had come home and logged onto the computer after she knew her father had left for work. The computer was logged into Casey's user account. It was password protected, so it's almost certain that the computer was actually being used by Casey. The computer was then used to log into Casey's MySpace account, and a Google search for foolproof suffocation was conducted, and the computer was then used to visit various suicide-related websites and read articles about safe ways to commit suicide. After supposedly using the computer, Casey had talked on the phone with her friend, her ex-boyfriend Jesse, and with her father. A call that lasted 26 seconds. Casey had also tried to call her mother six times, but the calls had gone to voicemail. Shortly before five o'clock, Casey's phone signal changed position, meaning she had left home. After seven o'clock that evening, Casey and her boyfriend Tony were caught on a security camera at a local video store. Kaylee was not with Casey at the time. The last time Kaylee was seen was when George left for work that afternoon. For the next month, Casey was busy with various activities, partying, going out almost every weekend and sometimes during the week, and, for example, entering a hot body contest at her favorite nightclub. She also constantly pretended to her parents that she was going to work and on various business trips. 
Casey began to avoid visiting her parents if she knew they were home, and she only went to their house if she was sure they were at work or somewhere else. Once, when her parents were away, Casey stole several cans of fuel from their garage because her own car had run out, and she didn't have the money to fill it up. Casey was caught and had to return the empty cans to her father. For some reason, Casey especially avoided her father. She usually called him once a week, but now, weeks went by between calls. Cindy really wanted to see Kaylee and hoped Casey would take her to visit them, but Kaylee was also very busy, Casey had explained to her mother. She was with the babysitter all the time, and the babysitter even loved Kaylee so much that she sometimes stayed with the babysitter for days at a time. Cindy couldn't understand why Casey didn't bring the little girl home to them, the babysitter had to be paid, but Cindy and George wanted to watch the girl for free. Cindy had also wondered what clothes Casey had for Kaylee since all her clothes were still in the family home. I wondered a little about this too. Casey had moved in with a friend, but apparently most of her and Kaylee's things were still in the parents' home. Casey told her mother that she and the babysitter had bought some clothes for Kaylee and that the old clothes were no longer needed. Again, Cindy subsequently presented this in such a way that everything seemed to be perfectly in order and that Casey's account sounded logical and believable to her. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Fears. The reality was a little different. The situation really stressed Cindy, and almost every phone conversation with Casey ended in an argument. On top of that, Cindy was also completely fed up with Casey continuing to steal from them. In addition to the fuel, Casey had repeatedly snuck into her parents' house to steal cash and credit cards. On July 16th, a month after George saw Casey and Kaylee leave his and Cindy's home, Cindy called 911. She told 911 that she needed the police to come and arrest her daughter, who had stolen both her car and money, which I'll come back to in a moment. To the 911 operator, Cindy also said she was going to report the disappearance of a nearly three-year-old child and told them that her daughter and granddaughter had been missing for a month. Now she had tracked down her daughter Casey, but Kaylee was still nowhere to be found. Cindy said she had last seen Kaylee 31 days ago, at that point, Cindy and probably 911 assumed Kaylee was with a friend of Casey's or her babysitter and that Casey just wouldn't tell them where she was. 
Casey had told both her mother and her brother Lee, who was present when the 911 call was made, that Casey was sleeping at her babysitter's house and that she did not want to wake her. Cindy probably thought that an emergency call would be some kind of wake-up call for Casey and that she would pick up Kaylee and all could be forgotten. In the background of the 911 call, Cindy is heard saying to Casey, if that's how you want to handle things, that's fine. And Casey replies, I don't want to handle it that way. Give me another day. Cindy says to this, no, I won't. I've already given you a month. From this conversation, I got the impression that Cindy has no idea yet, that she has no idea that anyone is in trouble, but that she is calling to threaten Casey. The 911 operator said that the police would be there shortly to investigate the situation. Before the police arrived, Casey suddenly told her mother and brother that she hadn't seen Kaylee for a month either. According to Casey, her nanny Zanny, whose real name was Zanida Gonzalez, had kidnapped her. When police were not yet on the scene, a panicked and furious Cindy called 911 again. She told the operator that her daughter had now confessed that she hadn't seen Kaylee in a month either and that Kaylee must have been kidnapped. Now Cindy was really panicking and she yelled into the phone that something was wrong and that she had just found her daughter's car yesterday and that it smelled like there was a dead body in the car. However, Cindy later said that she didn't mean it literally, but that she was using the word as a metaphor for the bad smell in the car. Eventually, Casey came to the phone and told her that Kaylee had been kidnapped by the babysitter. When 911 asked why Casey hadn't reported the incident to the police, Casey said she had tried to find her daughter herself, but also admitted that it was stupid. Finally, Casey announced over the phone that the police had arrived and the operator hung up. Now I return to Cindy's accusation against her daughter. That is, that Casey stole Cindy's car. As I understand it, Casey had at some point in late June borrowed her mother's car because there was fuel in it. Casey had claimed to her mother that she needed the car because she was going to Jacksonville on business. In reality, however, Casey had driven the car around Orlando, running various errands until the car ran out. Casey handled this problem in a very characteristic way for her, literally leaving the car with the empty fuel tank where it had stopped running. And she had not even bothered to take her own wallet or Kaylee's belongings from the car, but had left them there. Eventually, the car had to be towed away. And on July 15th, the day before the emergency calls I described just before, Cindy and George had been told that the car had been impounded and was waiting to be picked up. In order for Cindy to get her car back, however, she had to pay a fee of $500. Cindy and George had picked up the car and paid the fee, even though, according to the employee, Cindy had tried to negotiate and had become angry when it hadn't worked. The employee had mentioned to Cindy and George that there was a really bad smell inside the car, and Cindy and George had also noticed this themselves after opening the car door. They had found a waste bag and some food in the trunk of the car and had assumed that the bad smell was coming from there. I don't think Casey had stolen her mother's car, as Cindy claimed, Cindy had just been furious when she found out that Casey wasn't on a business trip and that the car had been impounded for days and they had to pay to get it back. After Cindy and George drove the car home, they began to unravel Casey's real whereabouts and discovered through Casey's friend Amy that Casey was actually staying with her boyfriend Tony and was neither at work nor away on business. 
When police arrived at the Anthony house, Cindy was screaming and yelling at Casey, who was just sitting on the couch, staring blankly at her mother. The first police officers on the scene later reported that Casey's reaction to the whole situation was calm and even apathetic. At first, the officers seemed to think that this was a custody dispute rather than a criminal case. They must have thought that Cindy wanted custody of Kaylee and that Casey would not give it to her mother and she was therefore hiding her daughter. As the gravity of the situation became clearer to them, the police called in a detective specializing in murders and missing persons to get the investigation properly underway. The officers gave the detective a brief outline of events, but the detective subpoenaed Casey and asked her to tell him exactly what had happened. Casey told the detective that on June 16th, she had dropped Kaylee off at her babysitter's house and had gone to work herself. When she left work that evening and returned to the babysitter's house, the babysitter was not home and did not answer the door when Casey rang the bell. Casey said she tried to call the babysitter, but the babysitter did not answer her phone. After that, Casey had been around playgrounds and other places where Kaylee usually spent time with the babysitter. Casey had then gone home to her boyfriend for the night and had decided that she would continue to look for Kaylee the next day, but she had not told her boyfriend that Kaylee was missing. The detective asked where Casey had originally met the babysitter, and Casey told him that one of her co-workers had recommended her. After the conversation, the detective who interviewed Casey was certain that Casey was not telling the whole truth. Her story and her behavior were atypical for a mother whose child had been missing for over a month. The detective asked Casey to go with him so they could visit Zenaida at her address together. Earlier, he had tried to get Casey to give him her phone number, but Casey had said she had accidentally deleted it from her phone. Together with Casey, the officer drove round and round Orlando, and it quickly became clear that there was scarcely a babysitter to be found. Casey pointed to two different apartments where she claims Zenaida had lived during the time Casey had known her, but neither apartment had anyone named Zenaida registered at the address. In fact, one of the apartments Casey led the detective to had been vacant for nearly six months, even though Casey said it was the apartment where she had dropped Kaylee off before she disappeared. When Casey couldn't lead the detective to Zenaida's apartment, suspicions began to grow that Casey was lying about a number of other things as well. When the police said they would go to Casey's workplace at Universal Studios, Casey seemed unperturbed and said they should do just that. They went there and soon found out that Casey had been fired more than two years prior and had never worked there as an event coordinator. Universal Studios also told them that the names of the people Casey claimed to have worked with did not sound familiar, and if they had ever worked there, it was probably many years before. Casey had also told police that she had her own office at work and that her work phone was in the office. When police then called Casey to ask her in which building and on which floor her office was, Casey said she couldn't remember. She had never noted the building number or which floor her office was on. The officers, who already knew that Casey was lying and did not work at Universal Studios, then told Casey to come in and show them her office, which she did. She apologized profusely to the lobby employee for forgetting her employee ID at home and for having to inconvenience the lobby employee with it. 
She also got angry at the security guards who dared to claim that they couldn't find any Casey Anthony in their roster of Universal Studios employees. Eventually, Casey led the cops around the park and in and out of buildings until she suddenly stopped, shrugged, and said, I'm not even an employee here. In awe of how far Casey was willing to go with her lie, the cops struggled to hold back laughter. They couldn't believe that Casey was really willing to go that far. After the confession, police gave Casey another chance to tell them what happened to Kaylee. They said they knew her stories didn't hold water and that she had lied about several things. However, Casey said that everything she had told them was true and that she did not know where Kaylee was or what had happened to her. The police even tried to help her along by saying that they understood if Casey feared the consequences and what people would say if, for example, Kaylee had died accidentally while with Casey. According to Casey, however, it was nothing of the sort. She insisted that Zenaida, the nanny who went by the name Zanny, was to blame. In the end, the police had no choice but to arrest Casey for, among other things, interfering with the investigation. After Casey's arrest, news of Kaylee's disappearance reached the media and the search of the Anthony family home intensified. A neighbor of the family told police that Casey had borrowed a shovel from him a few days after Kaylee's disappearance. Police suspected that Casey had used the shovel to bury Kaylee's body somewhere on her parents' property. The garden was searched and several items of evidence were confiscated from the family home, including Casey's clothes, her bags, the family computer, several cell phones, and a landline phone. Casey's car was also taken for examination, and the highly experienced homicide investigators involved in the case said that as soon as they opened the trunk of Casey's car, they were hit by the smell of decomposing bodies. When a sniffer dog trained to recognize the smell of dead bodies examined the car, it marked the car's trunk. This indicated that, according to the dog, there had been a human in the trunk at one time. The dog also marked an area in the family's backyard near Kaylee's playhouse. Hair was also found in the car, at least one strand of which belonged to Kaylee. This in itself was not significant, as it was natural for Kaylee's hair to be in the car as she had been transported in it. However, the investigators were interested to see if they could somehow determine whether the hair came from the head of a living or dead person, something to which I will return in part two. Cindy and George had been told by police that Casey had been arrested and was being held without bail. Through the police, they also found out that Casey had lied about her job and many other things, including that she had a nanny for Kaylee. It seemed that Cindy in particular had a hard time realizing that Casey had been cheating and lying to them. George, on the other hand, told the police that he himself had sometimes doubted whether Casey's stories were true and that some details about her job had sounded suspicious to him. When Cindy was questioned, she did not recognize the strangeness and suspicion of Casey's explanations. And when the police asked Cindy how she would feel about what had happened if Casey had not been her daughter, Cindy claimed that she did not know how she would react to it all. The case became the subject of much attention and George and Cindy tried to deal with the press and all the onlookers who wanted to know what had happened to Kaylee with mixed results. For example, there are videos of Cindy and George raging at a reporter and other people trying to get onto their property. 
They visited Casey in jail and called her, and many of Casey's friends, such as her brother Lee, also called Casey in jail. It is clear from the conversations with Casey's friends, and Lee in particular, that they do not buy Casey's stories. They wonder about Casey's behavior and implicitly suggest that they think Casey knows more about Kaylee's disappearance than she is letting on. Casey's friend Amy, whom I've mentioned a few times during this episode, wrote on Facebook that she was saddened by the situation and disappointed by Casey's behavior. At first, everyone's focus had been on Casey and her behavior, but Cindy and George ended up taking a different approach to the media. They wanted to change the perspective and focus more on Kaylee. They began holding press conferences where they wore t-shirts with Kaylee's face printed on them. They were involved in the search for Kaylee and organized various public searches to find her. The number of volunteers who participated in these searches was incredibly large. Over 4,000 people participated in an early search. In addition, Cindy and George handed out flyers about Kaylee being missing and tried to keep all the attention on Kaylee and not on Casey. Although Cindy did not always manage to stay on topic. She once lost her temper and said publicly that she still thought it was possible that Kaylee had been kidnapped by a nanny. This is despite the fact that the police found no evidence of the nanny's existence. Although they had found a woman in Orlando with the same name as Casey's fictitious nanny, she had nothing to do with the case. On the contrary, she claimed never to have met Casey. While Kaylee's disappearance was covered by all the media, her mother hired a lawyer named Jose Baez. Jose had been recommended to Casey by another inmate she had met in prison, and she had been told that the lawyer was very skilled and appropriately aggressive in his work, even though he was quite inexperienced in serious crime cases. It must be remembered, of course, that Casey had not yet been charged with any serious crime at that time. The charges against her were quite minor. The hiring of Jose, however, made the police's work more difficult because Casey, encouraged by her lawyer, was less cooperative. For example, she no longer agreed so readily to be questioned, and she was certainly not allowed to be questioned without her lawyer, which makes pretty good sense to me though. I watched a documentary on the case and in it, one of the police officers involved in the investigation was asked to comment on what he thought of Jose Baez. The officer replied thoughtfully, my grandmother taught me that if you don't have anything nice to say about someone, it's better to keep quiet. In August 2008, Casey was released on bail. Casey and her lawyer had tried to get her released on bail once before, but had failed. However, the second attempt was successful. The bail of half a million dollars was paid by the well-known bail bondsman, Leonard Padilla. Casey's release caused outrage across the country, and the police officers working on her case were also disappointed. When Casey was released from prison, journalists, photographers, and angry citizens turned out in force outside the jail, blocking roads and trying to get a comment from Casey. Although Casey had to wear an ankle bracelet and was not allowed to leave her parents' home, police feared that Casey might somehow interfere with the investigation or destroy evidence. At the same time, however, they were hopeful because they believed there was a possibility that Casey might be able to tell her parents or brother more about the circumstances surrounding Kaylee's disappearance. The video recordings made in prison of conversations between Casey and her parents gave the officers the impression 
that Casey would have liked to say more, but was afraid to because she knew the conversations were being recorded. Once, Casey had said something along the lines of, I know she's not far away. I feel in my heart that Kaylee is not far away, and that had piqued the officer's interest. The videos from jail were quickly shared with the public, and those videos certainly didn't help Casey's public image. Some have said Casey was nicknamed America's Most Hated Mom precisely because of those videos. In the videos, Casey shows a distinct lack of interest, often rolling her eyes and sighing like a teenager. She repeatedly refers to Kaylee in the past tense, only to correct herself and refer to her in the present tense, which several people took notice of. In a video where Cindy and George meet Casey for the first time in jail, Cindy says, We forgive you for everything you said. Casey replies, Don't worry, Mom, I didn't say anything. Many have later wondered what Casey and Cindy were referring to. On October 1st, 2008, the police publicly announced that Casey's status had been changed from person of interest to suspect, and rumors began to swirl that she would be charged with either murder or manslaughter. Casey had been jailed shortly before this when she was charged with stealing from her friend Amy, but Casey had been released on bail once again. The police had put off taking the case to a judge because they thought the murder charge might not be successful without the body, even though they had other evidence that Kaylee was probably dead. The evidence was mainly from the car Casey had used, evidence that pointed to the likelihood of a body in the car. The police had previously announced to the public that they did not consider it likely that Kaylee was still alive. A week after police changed Kaylee's status publicly, she was formally charged with first-degree murder of her daughter. She was also charged with aggravated neglect, interfering with an investigation, and aggravated child murder. The charges were serious. There are only two possible penalties for first-degree murder in Florida, either life in prison or the death penalty. Casey pleaded not guilty to the charges on the advice of her lawyer. The judge and prosecutor pointed out that despite the charges, finding Kaylee was still everyone's top priority. The prosecution, of course, hoped that this would be the case first and foremost because it would make their job easier. Without a body, it would be much harder to prove Casey guilty of murder or alternatively manslaughter than with a body. Casey was denied bail this time, so she remained in jail until her trial. Meanwhile, Cindy and George, along with many volunteers, continued to search for Kaylee. Here ends the first part of the case. I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this was Tracing Darkness. The show is originally created by Tilda Loxonen and adapted into English by Podster. Thanks for listening. Next time... I'll bring the story to its dramatic conclusion.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.